0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: This is March.
0: This is March. <laughs> We're recording on a Monday. This will post on a Wednesday. Um, but yeah, Dan, we made the tournament. I don't really know how that happened, but we did.
1: Yeah, I mean, heading into the weekend, I think the number I was giving people like was 10, 15... 20 percent maybe and then uh, we talked about it in the roundtable we did today it just seemed like all of a sudden we started to have like some of the better bracketologists were like you know i think syracuse gonna get in as 11 as a playing team so on sunday i felt like i still wouldn't have bet on us to make it but it seemed like we had a decent shot and and then we were a 10 seed which was higher than just about everyone had i think i bracket major 10 like one person who had us as a nine and then maybe a handful as a 10 and then half of them didn't have us in it at all so i think where we finished was a pretty you have to be pretty happy if you're a syracuse fan i think yeah but like
0: what what happened between friday and because you and i both gave a similar answer in, in the round table um like what the hell happened between friday and because syracuse didn't play a game and and to be honest i feel like more teams were added and put in its way. I mean. Did did the bracketologists just kind of start favoring something else resume wise? Did they start realizing that a lot of these potential you know at large teams just didn't have the resumes? Like I I am still kind of grasping at straws about what might have transpired um, in, in that three day span.
1: It, it's hard to tell because you know I don't know what bracketologists hear, what models they use, or what. But it definitely seemed like some of them um, kind of got a better beat for what the committee, this specific committee, was looking for. And obviously, on a year-to-year basis, it I feel like it has to be hard to project because some committees value RPI, some value you know certain other metrics. This one seemed to go really hard on big wins. Um, So, like you had us, we had the top five, top fifty wins. Obviously, A and M looked really good, and people finally seemed to remember that we beat A and M this weekend. Uh, And then at Duke-Notre Dame, uh, I'm looking at Vanderbilt, which is one of the last teams in. They beat A&M. Basically, if you beat A&M, you had a good shot of making the tournament. (laughs) They beat A&M and Kentucky this year. Um, Tulsa, which is the, like, people talk about Syracuse. Tulsa is the team that no one had in, like, bracket, matrix, and They have 59 people who fill out their, or that they, you know, use as their sample size. And zero of 59 had Tulsa in, and Tulsa made it, and they had five top 50 wins like Syracuse did. So it seemed like if you went because there were so many flawed teams, if you went and proved you could beat a good team, even if you weren't consistent in doing so, uh, it seemed like that was the key.
0: Yeah, you know, Dan, do you think that that the kind of moving target is the is the the part about this election committee and the process that pisses people off, fans, media, whatever the most um, I think the coaches the most because they're the ones scheduling against the previous year's metrics like. What is the most aggravating part of this process for you on a year-to-year basis?
1: Um, I don't know. I I think if if we weren't Syracuse fans, it'd be a little harder. I mean, I guess I came in right after the two snubs, so maybe I have a different perspective. But, I mean, this is the first time we were ever even on the bubble, for better or worse, uh, for me. And I was going and expecting not to make it. Um, So I think if you're like a a, a good mid-major, but you you don't win your conference or something – maybe kind of the moving goalposts with the constantly changing committee could be really annoying. Um, but I also think that kind of adds some intrigue. I think if, if you know like, oh, they use BPI and Ken Palm uh, every single year, I, it'd probably be better, like, in terms of fairness. But I think there'd be a lot less intrigue, and I think that the whole, I mean, everyone loves up until this year, which this, this, the show last night was a, a total abomination. But up until this year, the Selection Sunday show was always, like, a really fun part of this whole thing, and part of that is not knowing who's going to get it, and often being, like, really surprised. Um, like, there's almost always, like, one or two really big shockers. And this year there were a bunch run, uh, all across the, the, the field. So I think if we were being fair, we'd just find this metric, and then teams would know what to do, and, and everyone would kind of just fall into place. But I also don't think that would be necessarily the best thing for the brand of March Madness. March Madness is totally uh, predicated on just craziness and unexpectedness and, you know, know, just filling in this one metric, while it would probably be better in terms of, you know, making sure you had the best 68 team field, it wouldn't do a lot for the drama.
0: Well, I I think, and, you know, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, I... I feel like CBS and the NCAA kind of got what they deserved uh, on this leak. I'm surprised, and I said it um, on Twitter, on Slack. I'm surprised it took this long for a leak to happen, um, and the fact that it did was... I don't know about you, Dan, it was it was a relief to me because the last thing I needed was to sit through two goddamn hours um, of, of them talking about Syracuse's bubble chances. I think it, it, it probably added a year back to my life. Um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty happy to see it, um, and... I'm very curious to see how they, they prevent something like this going into the future, because obviously I, I don't think it's a it was a process um, you know, driven mistake that necessarily caused this, more of just a, a one off gaffe.
1: Yeah, I mean that when it happened, I, I couldn't remember ever even hearing like a one team leak before. Or like, hey, we hear that Kentucky's being sent to uh, the South region as the two seed like I don't remember like, a small thing like that leaking. And this year, the entire bracket leaked, which was absolutely shocking. And also, like you said, a total relief because, good lord, that was just an awful show. And the show is usually pretty good. I think it's usually, it flies by pretty quick. They bang up the bracket. They do the analysis. And you kick it over to ESPN. They do their stuff. It was such a drag. And adding in all the NBA people who don't need to be doing it. I don't know why they insist on doing this every March. but it's it just
0: You need to make yeah. sure you get those faces out there
1: it's it's insanity like they're so bad um so yeah it was a bad show uh and i also like appreciated kind of the karmic justice of uh (laughs) of of everything that went down
0: that someone just at the ncaa got so angry about the show they just leaked the bracket
1: (laughs) it uh, apparently it came from the ncaa side so maybe maybe like maybe just i don't know yeah, I mean, Apparently, Mark Emmert donated to Jeb Bush, so maybe he was so mad about uh, everything, <laughs> about his failed $1,000 uh, uh, you know investment, that he decided just to take it out on CBS. And he gave it to
0: charity. <laughs> no, honestly, as, as somebody in PR and media, I, uh, I, I like the fact that, that the, the, the show got what it deserved. Um, it was bad. It was bad television. Um, it was bad for the NCAA from PR standpoint. It was bad for, for CBS from PR standpoint, um, and it was bad for the brands of, of a lot of the people that were on that show too. I just felt like um, it 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 really hurt a lot of people's credibility just because of how how silly and buffoonish everyone looked. Um, it, it there were obviously a lot of just wrinkles that had not been ironed out um, in this two hour broadcast beforehand. It seemed like this was the first time half of them had been on live television. I, I was I, I was extremely confused by um by the way in which it was run and like people are watching that selection show so that they can they can find out, you know, where their team's playing and when and all that. Um and, and it's one thing to, to have an hour long show, wait until the last twenty fifteen minutes or so to, to reveal where your team's gonna play in a bowl game. It's another. Um you know, to have a selection show that, that goes two hours and you're not revealing the final bracket until that last 30-minute spot. Um, the NBA players thing, I, I think where w- where the disconnect lies is that when you look at, um, you know, w- when you look at their NBA show, uh, Late Night on TNT, that's, that's kind of, the way it was running there is kind of how it runs on that. Like, Barkley doesn't know how to use technology. Everybody laughs at him. Like, Kenny just, like, tells a bunch of jokes and Ernie just sits there and, like, shrugs his shoulders. Like that's how it works. And like everybody who watches like NBA broadcasts understands that and, and knows that, but like they had to understand too, that this, there isn't a huge overlap or at least as much of one as they would think between um, pro fans and college fans. And you and I discussed this as being like a a very small minority of, of Syracuse fans that also appreciate the pro game. It just, it was very poor judgment on Turner and CBS's part um, to To push to push an NBA announcing crew and and you know kind of studio crew into a situation where like they really didn't know anything about the audience.
1: Yeah, it's like they tried to like splice these two totally different shows together. And I know, and I know like Syracuse fans have a weird relationship with, especially Doug Dotley but also Seth Davis. Um, but they're usually, at least they, like, know the college game, and you, they might annoy you with one of their opinions, but it's backed up in watching a lot of college basketball. Seth Davis looked totally shook last night, which was surprising, because he's usually a pretty, you know, he'll keep the show going without any issues. Um, and then they bring in the, the NBA guys, who, like, Barkley is, like, excited to tell you how little he knows about <laughs> college basketball. Like, he when he first started doing it, I feel like he was, like, feigning it a little bit, or he... You know, tried to fake it. He doesn't even try to fake it anymore. He's like, I've watched like four Oregon games and a couple Pac-12 games, and that's it. It's like, all right, Charles. I at least like this is funny. Your this is your job, dude. At least I I almost appreciated more when you when you pretended. But it's it's just you know it's bad. And and the, the NBA show works because there's at least a baseline of familiarity with the sport and like understanding of how that game plays out. But when you have, you know. Bartley out there, you know, picking Oregon because he lives close, like he lives in the West Coast, and that's literally what he said. Like, that's just—it's not good television. It doesn't work on the same levels as inside the NBA because inside the NBA, at least he's, you know, seen all these teams and, and knows at least enough about them to make an intelligent point here or there, even if it's clouded in his like general ness
0: Yeah, and it's just—it's one of those things where like no one wants no one who either has a casual or or intense understanding of something, wants to be told by someone that admittedly doesn't know much, like, they they don't want to be told what to think or or what storylines to focus on or or they don't even want to hear their picks because, like, it seems seems like a foolish endeavor um, when when you have a a much more informed public now than you did when the show was much shorter uh, 10 years ago. I, I feel like college basketball's fan base just because of the proliferation of different technologies and advanced metrics, things like that. Like this is a much more educated fan base than they were. Um, And and somehow it was insulting a bit to, to see like a very, very like infantile presentation of everything.
1: Yeah. College basketball is really unlike any other sport I feel like, because it's a total niche sport from October till the first week in March where the people who watch it, are are real die really die hard about it they watch it more than nba ball which you know you can argue which one's better uh, i can see it both ways um i think the nba product's probably better but college just there, there's something about college sports that you know draws a lot of us in but then everyone gloms on like with even even with baseball if you're not a baseball fan like you're not watching the world series um maybe you know someone who watches 20 games a year will watch the world series but if you have no interest in the game you're you're not watching, and even like the Super Bowl is not is barely about football if you're not a football fan. Like you can watch the Super Bowl for totally other reasons. For March Madness, people all watch it for the sport because the sport goes crazy, but they're still watching for the basketball. But I, half or more of the people that are tuning in um, just don't watch any other games. So and and that's reflected. You know, you would hope that when you are Bringing all these people into the sport for this, you know, three week period, the people that you have delivering information at least, you know, have some idea of what's happened for the last four or five months, and that's it's a you know a total turnoff for those of us who do who who are in it for so like, so much. Like we've been really focused in on college basketball for I mean since it started, but especially for the last two months, and now we have people giving just the most baseline information out a lot of which is not even accurate uh or people who can't name two players in a one seed so it's it really is kind of insulting to the the diehards and um you know even if that's not a big group like it's an important one and then the people who are looking to make informed decisions with their brackets and who really want to get into the into the tournament for a couple weeks if you're not doing anything for them either
0: no agreed i mean it to, to put it you know in a in similar terms, for, because I feel like there's more of a crossover in football, this is like grabbing Berman and Ditka and Tom Jackson and putting them on the selection show for the college football playoff. And, and the, the, oh, God. The, the looting and rioting in the streets that would occur because of that um,
1: is—, is There'd just be insane. a lot of catchphrases, and Ditka would fart, and that would be the whole yeah, show. And then they'd
0: laugh, and then, <laughs> and then they'd shoot it over to Chris Fowler, who would then put us all back in check.
1: Oh. Save us, Chris. <laughs> I feel like if, if I was in a really bad situation, but Chris Fowler came over and, like, reassured me, I'd, I'd feel better. I, I would agree.
0: I, I think it's it's interesting how, I mean, I think college sports are very tribal in, in nature. Um, and it's funny how that even extends to media. Um, you know, you just have, like, pro sports, there, there's no pro sport where everyone goes, um, for the most part. I'd say maybe Vince Scully being the exception. Where There's no pro sport where someone goes, oh, man, like, you know, he's the... He's the mecca of, of announcing. I don't care what team you root for. Like, he's the one that you want to hear. I mean, obviously, Scully never did national broadcasts. He was always um, Dodgers. But I, I feel like in college, like, we actually like our media. We don't sit around talking about how much we despise them all day. Like, we
1: actually, We enjoy Bill Walton.
0: Yeah, like, we actually enjoy <laughs> Bill Walton, especially when he puts your tweet on ESPN. Like, there's just all these things about, like, college media that, like, because there's so many more teams, you almost have, like, a game respects game type of reaction with these folks, which is, like, we understand it's not easy to follow along with this many teams and for this long, but we're doing it, and we appreciate the fact that you are, too.
1: Right, and, and I think it's it's one of those things that college basketball fans have kind of grown to accept. Like, every year it seems like it gets more and more neat uh, of a niche thing, but, you know, you know we'd like to at least be given, like, the air of this is a thing that people do watch before March 15th. I would agree. Uh,
0: so I guess we might as well talk about Syracuse a little bit. Um, we do,
1: usually, do do that in the show on occasion. Usually.
0: Uh, this is, like, the longest. No, no this is not the longest. To take. I think one episode we didn't talk about Syracuse at all. <laughs> but
1: we ended up talking about one, one of the summer episodes we just didn't, like, one of these years. Think, there have been a couple, I think. I think we
0: mentioned them. But we actually, I promised, um, uh, what's it called? the uh, Fear the Wave blog, that they would get their own episode um, after they won that poll. Um, so once we hit the summer, uh, we'll have an all two lane episode that none of you will listen to.
1: Yeah, like two weeks clear of lacrosse season before like the football workouts really get going. I, mean, I feel like we could have a two-lane episode, and there, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get tens of people tuning in. You know what, though? It'll be
0: great. We're actually going to get—if we get the guys from Fear the Wave, though, I feel like it's going to be— like, we're going to get a good Tulane audience because we're actually going to be talking about the team in an educated manner, unlike what we usually do.
1: I'm just going to read Bill Tonnelly's preview, which will should be out by then for Tulane, just verbatim. I'm just going to lift direct quotes and plagiarize. So, hope no one minds that. Yeah, that's fine. Shout out to Bill Tonnelly.
0: Agreed. Go buy his book when it comes out. Go buy his book when it comes out and read everything he puts out. His post on Hawaii today was actually very interesting because, you know, you always know how much Hawaii travels, but like, when you put it into context like hawaii is going to be in australia michigan and arizona like in separate on separate weekends in the first like 22 days of the season which is just mind-numbing to me
1: (laughs) and they're like by far the best choice though to australia because they're kind of used to it and they're like way closer
0: yeah and yet and yet, (laughs) and yet they put themselves on a plane to ann arbor after this
1: so silly like I, it would be i think it would be unf- unfortunate if we lost hawaii from the college football landscape i think they bring like an interesting thing uh that the fact that they have those really late games that you know occasionally you'll catch after the last pac 12 game they have the the announcer with the crazy hawaiian shirts who's hilarious and like the biggest homer in sports they're they they have not been good for a while and they hemorrhage money and i totally get what ha- you know if they went under if their football team just like ceased to exist i would totally understand it on a on a, you know, level of just understanding how, like, sports business works. But it'd be so unfortunate. I really hope they figure it out.
0: I I think they will, for what it's worth. I think that given what UAB was able to quickly kind of reverse, you know, given them getting rid of football, I just think that... I think that that for a university, that the kind of, quote-unquote, shame of getting rid of football has just become too much... It's become too much of a deterrent, uh, and that's why like I'm very intrigued to see what happens at Idaho and New Mexico State. I mean, neither of them would get rid of football entirely. Um, for for Hawaii, it's just it's a different conversation because I mean, what we saw like they had like they had one option when when they left the WAC in terms of Olympic sports, and that was the Big West, and they're the only non-California school in that conference. Um, and, and Hawaii pretty much signs up for paying for travel for other schools and. Having to, you know, I mean, during basketball season, you have an eighteen game schedule. You're flying to California nine times in a three month stretch. Like that's, to me, that's very, very difficult, and it's, it's, it's hard to put that under the guise of student athlete, like student athletes, and 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 all the other nonsense. Uh, it's, I'm definitely inter- I'm looking at Hawaii um, because I think it's the most realistic view of of whether or not um, an FBS school can cancel things altogether or not.
1: Right. And, right. and, and there's just like the disadvantages run way deeper than you think when you look at the surface, because like the average, the layman will be like, well, why wouldn't they be able to recruit like you? And, and they just have so many disadvantages in terms of the, just the sheer price of getting kids out there and the, and their, their policies, which you you probably correct me if they don't do this anymore, but I believe for a long time and maybe still their policy on recruits were, was they wouldn't take you on an official. They wouldn't accept your official visit unless you committed there. Um just because it's so prohibitively expensive and they would always have like some five-star kid who had no interest in going there, just taking his fifth visit to Hawaii, um, just to do it. So it's, it's, they, even their advantages of being in Hawaii are totally negated by how expensive it is to get there and, and just being used by the system of how recruiting works.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I can't blame them there. I mean, that and I, I haven't looked up to see whether or not that's still the case, but like yeah, you don't have a local recruiting base. There's very few kids that come out of, out of Hawaii at the FBS level every year. Um, you've got, it's still a five hour and change plane ride from here, never mind from anywhere else. <laughs> like, California is as close as you're going to get. And, like, y- if you're playing in the Mountain West, like, you can promise that your family will see you a couple times live, but, like, it's cost prohibitive for, for even the most s- well situated families to, to go see many of your games in in college and, and you know, this is not like a sweeping generalization of kids who play college football, but there's a lot of kids in college football and a lot of very good kids in college football, the four and five stars in particular who might not be from the best financial situations and really need this scholarship um, to play playing football, um, you know, to really get a college education or at least, you know, the one that they deserve. Um, So to expect them to then be able to, to fly to Hawaii four times a year or even two, um, sometimes even one, like is, is it's, it's out of the question and given the amount of schools that are a closer plane ride to, to California. And, and again, like a lot of things that you already mentioned, it's, it's miraculous that they've been able to keep a a decent product on the field for this long. And I I just hope they can continue to do so.
1: Right. Right. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. Hopefully it would actually be a pretty cool story if, uh, if their basketball team was able to make some noise in this tournament, and I haven't watched them um, play very much, just because they, you know, they're Hawaii and they're on super late. Um, but it seems like they're actually one of the more intriguing teams. So it would be nice for that entire athletic department if they were able to to make some things happen. Although I don't love the matchup with Cal because Cal's like super athletic.
0: Yeah, I think anybody else but Cal, and I would, I would be all over Hawaii as a 13 seed. Um, winning a couple games. And I'm actually struggling, and I was talking to a buddy of mine about this today, I was struggling to fill out my bracket with many upsets because I feel like the problem is this year, since so many one-seeds in these smaller conference tournaments lost, you don't have the best of the best in terms of mid-majors, um, and, and that creates a lot of mismatches. Um, I know just looking around, like, in you know, a 538, there were only, like, there was maybe, like, two teams seeded 11 or higher that had, like, a even better than, like, a 20% shot of, of beating the, the, you know, higher-seeded team. And, like, to me, that's pretty wild. Like, for, for a tournament that we've gotten used to upsets a lot and, and, and the trends say upsets will happen, I, I'm wondering if this year, despite the wackiness and the kind of uncertainty at the top, that we see a lot of uniformity in rounds two and three um, as, as a lot of these, you know, not necessarily cream-of-the-crop mid-majors get knocked off pretty easily.
1: It, yeah, it's definitely something to look out for. Um, I actually think that, like, look, going over the, the bracket, I have all the fives advancing, which obviously is like a steadfast rule that never happens, except it happened for the first time in a while last year. But I feel like the four and five lines are actually, like, strangely strong for solid. what those lines. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd say the weakest four is maybe, I mean, I, I have Iowa State losing, actually. Um, so I. To Iona. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all know. It um, is written. I mean, the. That or, or Duke, with, which has all of its depth problems. And, but you know, UNC-Wilmington, I don't feel like on a normal year, would be more of a 14. Um, the 13s, I just don't feel like, are that, all that strong. And the 12s are a little weaker than normal. Um, Arkansas-Little Rock is really good. But they run into, uh, who do they play? Purdue, who is coming off a nice big Ten tournament run and has, like, ridiculous size. Like, just these fives just seem closer to the top than these 12s seem, like, you know, scary.
0: Yeah. And, and,
1: that being said, Tom Crean is to- coaching a five seed, uh, so anything can happen.
0: Wait, who's who's their twelve?
1: Chatt- Chatt- Chattanooga. <laughs> who I, I don't know that much
0: about. Oh man, like I, I had myself convinced. I'm like, oh, oh Indiana could get through this. This will be okay. And then like the more I'm reading up Chattanooga, I'm like, you know what? Like this is not going to be okay. <laughs> this is going to be a disaster. I mean,
1: what? I don't, I don't. I think if you're an Indiana fan, you'd still rather w- win Chattanooga, but. Would it be that much better for them, their psyche as a, as a, a fan base, not really on the brink anymore, but like I feel like this could be a, yeah, like a team they really, really don't like, a team that won't play them anymore, and then like and the, and Indiana's totally in the right on that issue, like hundred oh, yeah. um, percent, but I, I feel like for the Indiana fan base, which. Really, like, struggled with Crean for so many years, and then he got them built up to where they were that one seed, and then Syracuse, like, pulled the ladder out from under them, and then they wallowed in the mediocrity for a couple more years, and now they're, like, they looked really good. They won the Big Ten regular season, and then, you know, say they beat Chattanooga by, like, 40, and everyone's like, ooh, Indiana looks really, you know, really strong this year. They can make some noise, and then Kentucky just goes and, like, obliterates them. That would be so disheartening for them.
0: Yeah, that would, uh, I mean, I hate Indiana, so, like, I kind of want it to happen to them, but but at the same time, like, you do kind of feel bad that, like, this, like, historically great fan base and, you know, one that probably deserves one less title than they have, um, like, is going to be reduced to just, like, embarrassment and, and hoping they can beat Chattanooga just to get, like, completely, like, pile-driven by, um, you know, a very, very good Kentucky team that I could almost see knocking off UNC, um... I don't usually agree with John Calipari. I did agree with him yesterday um, that you know Kentucky was definitely not seated properly. Um, I, I think that in beating Texas A and M, that probably vaults them up to the three line. I don't necessarily have a proposal for who moves down. I don't think A and M should um, potentially. I maybe Miami is the team that that, that, that drops. Um, it's 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 tough to say specifically. Um, you know how that how all that works out. I'm just I'm I am very surprised. Maybe maybe the lesson is to the SEC is that don't um don't schedule your championship game to end like 30 minutes before the selection show and, and, you, and you won't have to worry about um you know this sort of thing happening.
1: Yeah, I mean Calipari I think was right on a best of a basketball sense totally like clearly it's it just it, Reading between the tea leaves, reading the tea leaves between the lines, whatever. Um, it just really seemed like the SEC had their bracket, or the uh, the committee had their bracket ready. So the SEC tournament, they're like, uh, we don't want to like erase this and and rewrite it. Like the handwriting was already so good, um, so they just left it as is. Uh, and maybe if it was Saturday, they would reflect on it a little bit more. Um, but I, I really like uh, Drake Sankey's response to Talapari today, where he was basically like, John, but exposure though.
0: <laughs> but that's what the sec has always been about i mean the sec basketball league is is has never ever ever like tried to play itself up as, as as something real and it's amazing now that like you know yeah calipari trying to talk about the league a league that really don't deserve two teams in the tournament like trying to talk about this league is, is something that like it isn't and it's just it is hilarious to watch the, these opposing kind of forces at this point. Like Sankey doesn't care how bad um, you know SEC basketball is; he just cares about the money. And like it, it was, it's it's funny to see that like kind of laid bare um, for everybody.
1: Yeah, it was it was very brand.
0: So <laughs> he was so trying. Brand.
1: He's like, I don't want to make the most important person in this entire league by like magnitudes mad, but. This is the only time slot we have to play It's no one, no other big conference. So that's what we're gonna do, John.
0: Just, like, I'll I'll even drop the like pushing for everyone to be James. Chill out. Sorry, James is a uh, James is trying to run a spirit of two three against my wife, and it's not really working. <laughs>
1: He is. He's, did you throw on the press real quick but you're gonna come out of it in like a minute yeah pretty
0: much he's just <laughs> not about it but uh and yeah, this is this is what happens when she riles and, and she walks in the door <laughs> anyway before we get to halftime um yeah for me i think that i would love everything to end on saturday um obviously there's some money at stake there obviously for some of the smaller conferences that play on Sunday if they're only shot to get you know ESPN exposure um, at the same time I wouldn't mind those smaller conferences wrapping up on Sunday but like two hours out in exchange for you know like the ACC conceded and moved um, I'd like to see the Big Ten and the SEC move uh, because you know th- those are the ones that really can affect seating and again if you're not if you hate what happens when the committee doesn't bother moving you, then then move the game.
1: Right, and the ACC was smart because they there was that uh, you know the spot left open by the Big East not being really the Big East anymore, and they you know the ACC it wasn't just teams like they inherited some of the really smart things that the Big East did to stay relevant, and I'd say it worked out. I thought we had a, a really nice matchup, uh, and clearly both those teams took up number one season no matter what. So uh, the ACC basketball. Strangely, kind of flew under the radar compared to like the, the Big, 12. Big 12 this year. Um, but but overall, overall, pretty good. And they still got seven teams in. Thanks, uh, thanks, committee. Yeah.
0: All right. And on that note, uh, a little halftime, then we might actually get to talking about Syracuse. Dan mentioned. <laughs> I just realized,
1: like, we just said that we were going to talk about them and then totally didn't. Okay. But we went on like a seven minute Hawaii. Yeah.
0: D- Dan what? mentioned Bill Connolly, <laughs> and then we started talking about Hawaii. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking for the last week?
1: Uh, oh, I should probably pull that up. Um, I don't think there was anything overly exciting uh, this weekend. I had Guinness because it was St. Patrick's Day, uh, which is fine. I didn't have any of the Guinness blonde nonsense, though. Yeah, don't, don't, just the regular. Really um, oh, 21st Amendment uh, Sneak Attack, uh, their Saison, which was. I only had like. I don't think I had a full one. I just had like a taste of one. Someone brought it to a thing I had. Um, that was pretty good. Uh, their stuff is always pretty solid. Um, oh, I had Captain Lawrence, their hop commander, uh, which was really delicious, uh, really nice, and like quite hoppy, but you know, still pretty pretty drinkable for an IPA. But uh, I I really enjoy that Captain Lawrence always makes good stuff. Um, oh, I went to a brewery actually this weekend, so I did have a lot of new stuff. Uh, I went to Rockway Brewing in Long Island City. Um, had three beers from them. Uh, they had a, a Red, uh, a double red called Double Curiosity, which was very interesting. Um, They had, uh, probably my favorite one they had was a Teller beer called Rocktoberfest um, that uh, was very good. Um, So yeah, some interesting stuff from them. I don't think they have a huge distribution yet, but if you're in the city, uh, there's a bunch of breweries right there in Long Island City. So uh, a decent place to stop by, um, and they had some cool stuff, so. That was nice, and then uh, some of the old, you know, standards. But those were the the main, the main, uh, new things I tried.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, fun fact: uh, Aaron and I actually uh, put what's it called? Um, Captain Lawrence got uh, their uh, cuvee de Castleton got to the final four in our uh, beer bracket this year. Pretty
1: good. pretty good. Captain Lawrence is a is a really solid brewery, and they put out. A lot of really good stuff. So I I still haven't been up there, and it's not that far. So you need to do that at some point this summer, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, Aaron highly recommends it. And if Aaron (laughs) highly recommends it, then... I think it's probably worth checking out.
1: I I trust him pretty implicitly on on matters of beer.
0: As you should. Um, On my end, uh, one of my buddies in Texas sent me a bottle of uh, Figlet. It was a uh, smoked fig Saison. From jester king sounds weird is weird but in a very good way um i think that like the the smokiness with the fig actually kind of removed some of the like sugariness you might normally get also kind of balanced out that tartness you can get uh from the belgian yeast and the saison but it was very very good that one i don't believe gets out of texas so nice to have some of that um uh there's new uh german sausage place opened up not too far from here um it's actually authentic like a lot of the beers there you're gonna find not at like your typical um you know american german bar but actually like at a german german bar so i had a uh, bayreuther zwickel keller beer and it was uh excellent prices are a little higher but at the same time it's la area you're not really surprised by anything um Phantom Carrot started bottling a couple things, including their uh, Broad Acres. Um, what is this? Don't recall. Weiss beer, I believe. Wait. You know what? I'm I'm gonna make sure I I characterize correctly. Like for some reason, the uh, yeah Berliner Weiss. Uh, so yeah, very good. Uh, I had it before in draft. I thought it was even better in bottles, perhaps. Uh, They also had a fresh bottle of Citraholic from Beechwood Brewing. Still so excellent. Uh, One of their very, very good um, IPAs loaded with Citra Hops. Um, Then, uh, counting down to the selection show, when I had minimal faith, uh, I was drinking Modern Times Hulu Mulu uh, Double IPA. That was a very good one. Didn't have a ton to drink this past weekend, but headed down to San Diego this coming weekend, so we'll have plenty um, to discuss on my end. I'm sure, uh, as I make the rounds to the usual and hopefully new places uh, down there.
1: Very cool. And uh, we might need. Hopefully, you have some. You know, let's say roughly twelve twenty-five beers lined up for Friday. <laughs> might need them.
0: Yeah. Problem is, it's a like nine fifteen tip for me. <laughs> So we're pretty much just gonna put everything on ice, so that when I get home, I'm either drinking in celebration or drinking in sadness. I might work from here, but even then, while I do like beer, I can't do nine fifteen. It's just it's just a bit much. I I feel like that takes the next step into you might have a problem. <laughs> just...
1: And and we have a double header now uh, with the the girls playing right after basically. Uh, the men, they're playing Army as the four-seed hosting, which will be cool.
0: Yeah, women's basketball. This is, uh, this is one of their first mentions on the podcast, and that's not like a conscious thing. It's just we end up focusing so much on on football and basketball, uh, men's basketball, that we don't get to it. Not, not an excuse, mind you, uh, just an explanation of how that happens. Um, it's awesome for the women to get their first top four-seed um, ever. They'll be hosting Army at the Dome. Um, is that going to be televised?
1: Uh, I assume so. I, hope I so. Probably, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hope so, too. I mean, it's a nice, you know, throw that up on a screen, for sure. Um, And if the men lose this weekend to either Dayton or presumably Michigan State, Michigan State, which they probably will, because Michigan State's really good, Ugh. um, we might just only talk about the women next weekend if they make a 316 run. Yeah, so, fun. just like not, yeah, like not even mention the men at all.
0: Yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. <laughs> okay, so... Based on the uh, post over at Noon's, uh, ESPN2 uh, will be on directly after the men's game against Dayton.
1: Yep, yep. perfect. So
0: that's cool. Actually, Plus, it,
1: Plus it, like, we won't even be in like full midday swing of those games, uh, the men's games. So you can definitely find a screen for Syracuse women's basketball.
0: Oh, without a doubt. Sorry, I'm just looking up the bracket quick. Oh, here we go. All right. For some reason, Army is notated as Army West Point. That doesn't really make any sense to me because there is no other school called Army. Uh, but sure, whatever. Um, so, for those who wanted to know, we'll do a quick look at the bracket, and then we'll actually get to Syracuse men's basketball, I swear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Syracuse gets to, obviously, open up at the Carrier Dome. They will play Army, and then they will play the winner of the five twelve game, that is Florida, 5 seed, against Albany, the 12. Um, and then... If they play Albany, Albany will actually be able to have some sort of contingent there. Florida, probably not. Um, they can get past those first two games, and I believe, would this be Syracuse's first Sweet 16 trip if they were able to get through those first two?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I think it would be the first one under, under Q. Um, I think they made it to the second round uh, when they were in Lexington and lost to, the, to Kentucky, um, who was pretty good that year But because we had, like, some big injuries yeah. so i think this would be the first sweet 16 trip unless there was one like way back
0: hmm. yeah like because when did this when did the women's tournament expand to 64 it was like what 10 years ago
1: uh something like that i don't remember honestly yeah.
0: so anyway if they can get out to the sweet 16 they'll unfortunately have to face south carolina the team that you know, you know hurt them a lot last year
1: I feel okay about that because I feel like they've played them a couple times recently, and they, you know, they haven't come all that close to winning, but they've been like fairly competitive. Like I think a couple years ago, we played them in a tournament, we only lost by like a bastard or two, um, and they're not UConn, and that's that's Perfect. probably the best thing you could say about any team. So like my my main goals for watching the Syracuse women was get a, get a home game or a home weekend, which they did, and don't be in UConn's bracket, and they're not mad either. And now that means they would have to sue Falls, which. I guess they have an arena there, so that's nice. Good for them. Uh, shout shout out to the Sioux Falls uh, Board of uh, you know Chamber of, Where of Commerce. There you go,
0: Sioux Falls. <laughs>
1: um, but that's so much better. Like I'd rather play uh, South Carolina in you know Pyongyang than than play UConn in the dome. So
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's not a bad theory. And, and you know, you look at um, I mean the one seeds in women's basketball in general. And this is going to be the case for a long time. Uh, they're just so much better than the field every year. Um, that's why you have a lot of all ones in Final Fours in women's basketball because they're just they they're dominating teams they're they just impose their will and, and just are, are miles ahead of the competition. And like for you know I mean think about how long it took Syracuse to, to get like a a really successful women's program. You know it a lot of programs are still in the middle of that process. Um, and, and, you know you look at the you look at the scores that come across the bottom line. You look at these records that these top women's teams are able to pile up. I mean, there's still a lot of schools that just can't field competent women's teams. Um, the wild thing to me is, is, and I, I'm i sure this has been a storyline in women's basketball this year, but seeing Tennessee as a seventh seed is something I never thought would happen. Um, just over- yeah, I think
1: those are lowest seed, like, ever. maybe ever. Yeah, crazy.
0: Which weird. And that actually is a nice segue because Syracuse has its lowest seed ever. Um
1: Look at that, this master, master class.
0: (laughs) Master class and segues.
1: Three years in and we are segwaying like champions.
0: (laughs) So everybody knows at this point, if you're, if you don't, you probably aren't listening to the podcast. Um, Syracuse got a 10 seed. They will be facing the Dayton Flyers, who we hate, as you should probably remember from a couple years ago, and we'll be facing them in St. Louis, Missouri, the metropolis of one of my employers' uh, homes. Uh, That would be the agency I work for. Um, St. Louis is a decent sports town. There are... I mean, if you're not too busy caught up being a classy Cardinals fan, um, you can see the Blues. And You used to be... You can walk by the Rams empty stadium. Um, you can avoid most of downtown and a bunch of other things outside of it. Um, but yeah, there's a cool thing right next to Bush Stadium, so you could do that. Um, would recommend... I mean, if anyone's going, just drop us a line. I, I know I said that on the site today, too. Just drop us a line. love to get a kind of Sights and Sounds account from uh, from a member of the, the readership, the commentariat, uh, if we could. But, Dan, um, obviously our main goal was getting in. Are you mad at Staten, or do you think this is a perfect opportunity for revenge, especially for guys like Cooney and Benajay who were on that team that lost to Dayton a couple of years back?
1: Um, yeah, so I think there's a lot of fear of Dayton and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of fair because Dayton is in their own right. The 2015, 16 Dayton team is pretty good. Um, I think most Syracuse fans are nervous about Dayton because of the narrative of it's Dayton again and they have, you know, Stoochie Smith is back. A couple of those guys are back. That being said, uh, Dayton, uh, from what I've heard, I haven't watched too much Dayton recently. Um, but everyone says that they haven't looked very good down the stretch. Uh, I think Dotley, when he was finishing, you know, being doing the gen, the standard Dotley, you know, complains about Syracuse thing. He's like, oh, yeah, Syracuse is going to win that game because Dayton just, like, throws up bricks. And Dayton really isn't a great shooting team. They shoot about 34% from three, nothing crazy. Um, they don't have, you know, dominant uh, scores that are going to go crazy on us. Um, they're not a huge team. Uh, so I think this actually isn't a bad matchup for Syracuse on paper. Um, that being said, obviously Syracuse also hasn't been playing all that great, despite what Jim Beheim said today, which was kind of twizzical. But you know we know how Beheim do. Um, but uh, overall, I, I think it's a, it's a real toss-up. I think they're very evenly matched. I think uh, Vegas has I think Syracuse minus one, and I'm sure that could flip either way. Um, but it's fine. I, when you're a 10 seed, you expect you know if you're getting a, a coin flip, I think you take that. Um, especially considering, you know, some of the other sevens we could have gotten. Oregon State, I think they're a little overseeded, but they have one of the best players in the country. Wisconsin, we already lost to, and Wisconsin was bad when we lost to them, um, and now they're pretty good. And Iowa has been kind of a train wreck too, but they were like at one point being projected as a two seed, so they have some talent. I would have loved to face so Iowa. I would have been fine with Iowa, but um, I think you take Dayton, and Dayton, that's fine. The bigger problem is that. If you beat Dayton, you're almost definitely playing Michigan State, and that is terrifying. But you're Syracuse; you were 19 and 13. Pick up win number 20. If you keep it competitive and it's Michigan State, you know maybe stare them for a bit. Uh, I would find it hard to complain, assuming you know there isn't some giant collapse or something. Yeah. Which wouldn't be the first time we've had a giant collapse in the tournament its Michigan State. I'm aware. So, yeah.
0: Well, the weird thing here is like because this is uncharted territory. Excuse me uncharted territory for syracuse fans in terms of seating that the expectation for once is losing the first round and and that's just like based on chalk um obviously we as fans have expectations that say we can't lose in the first round and won't um we have expectations that we should be in the sweet 16 every year that is not going to happen um if we face michigan state and if we happen to beat them then i'll eat my rewards and then some but michigan state's a very good team Beggars can't be choosers. I would have rather faced Iowa, followed by Villanova or Xavier. Facing Nova in in Brooklyn, you know, as a Tenzi would have been hilarious. It actually would have been a similar situation, what we had to do in Dayton. Um, I just feel like, you know, Dayton was a team that was probably under-seeded. And in general, I mean, where the hell was that game? Do you remember?
1: Uh, Oh, where was that game? It was... I don't remember.
0: Was it close was it close to Dayton? I feel like it might have been.
1: I think it was fairly close.
0: Yeah, it's well okay like even putting it differently, like when we faced Cal a few years back, and Cal got to play us in San Jose despite being a double digit seed in the second round.
1: It was in <laughs> Buffalo, so it was actually really close to
0: us. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind.
1: <laughs> there goes that.
0: Yeah, there goes that theory. But The other theory still stands and also shows that you can overcome it. Um, You know, Cal got to face us in San Jose um, when they were in 11 C? 12 C? 12. They were 12. Because we were 4. So yeah, so that happens sometimes and uh, who knows. I I think that Dayton is a team that has been fading. Uh, I think that they're still a very good team. I think that uh, we're unlikely to see the type of slugfest that we that both teams seem to get dragged into last time. I think Syracuse is not as good defensively and they're probably better at shooting, even if they're not efficient at it. Um, I like our chances, but really barely. And it seems like America kind of feels the same way. I mean, most of the bracket challenges show the team's about split. fifty-two forty-eight 52-48 in Dayton's favor, or it's like 51-49 in our favor. There's not necessarily like a... A clear-cut winner. I think even five thirty-eight was pretty, uh, pretty much, just put up a shrug face in, in terms of you know who's going to win that game. So I don't know. I have a, uh, I had mixed feelings, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose to be optimistic, Dan. At least for right now.
1: Yeah. When I was going through it last night, it took me like it was probably the longest pick of uh, any of these like, set 8-9, and a lot of the 8-9 games are ridiculously close. Especially, I was looking at Ken Palm, and they're all like one or two apart. Um, so, this took me a, a good long time, because I'm always afraid that I'm being a little um, a little too homery when I pitch Syracuse in a close game. But, uh, if, you, if you don't buy Ken Palm, Syracuse does have a pretty distinct advantage. We're ranked 41st. They are ranked 54th. So, it's a pretty decent gap there. Not huge, but bigger than, like, uh, there are a couple of these other matchups where it's like two, two spots total. Um, so I, I feel okay about it. I, I think on paper we match up pretty well. I think if it was any other team that's like Dayton, I think we'd feel even better. Um, but that name, you know, and I get it. Like, we, they just beat us two years ago. It was really ugly. Um, it was kind of a heartbreaking game considering the, how the beginning of that season went. Uh, so I get, you know, people being very nervous about playing the Flyers again. But I also think there's a chance that, like, Mike Benege... Trevor Cooney, both those guys played big roles on that team that lost um, that was the Benajay, wasn't that the shoe game where his shoe came off yeah. and kind of like cracked on him in the in the book Like, so that was a pretty defining game early in his career, um, one of the first games and yes, he actually played really well in that game Just maybe Syracuse's best player that day um, one of the first times you could ever say that about Mike Benajay, maybe the first uh, so maybe this carries a little extra significance for them and they go out and just really want to make a statement so that'd be fine with me too
0: yeah, and you know what? You bring up a good point on Dayton. I think, in general, the name is, is scarier than the team um, in a lot of ways. It just seems like we uh, – I mean, we did this because we faced Vermont back in, um, oh, no, 2010. Um, and, and, and I think all of us, despite being a, a one seed, were terrified of of Vermont and terrified of being, um, you know, the, the first one seed to lose. And I think – And we won by, like, 20. Yeah, we won by, like, 20 and chains, and the game was over by halftime. Like – it was it was just one of those times where like i mean, i think i think a lot of su fans and maybe older su fans would feel the same way about it if richmond showed up on the opposite line um, it, there's just there are some games that you don't want any part of and just because of you know the memories that they bring up and i think that this until the demons exercise this is one of them cuz now i don't think we still hate vermont but i don't think we where we fear vermont i feel like with with dayton until we beat them uh, we're, we're still going to have that—that that really, really in the back of our minds, and 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 it's going to creep up on a lot of folks um, as this game gets closer.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we'll all be kind of like bundles of nerves on Friday morning.
0: Uh, especially me, considering that it'll be so really early. Friday morning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dan, what do you think the big kind of, uh, I guess, what do you think the biggest thing is that Syracuse has to do in order to beat Dayton? Is it just—is is there something special? That we need to do to beat Dayton, or is it just Syracuse has a very clear script, which is shoot well and play competent defense and win. Uh, like, I guess I'm just trying to get at, you know, where do you see this game falling if SU is going to win?
1: Um, Dayton's pretty strappy. Uh, they don't do anything like exceedingly well, uh, but they play really tight D. Um, they're a 13th in adjusted defensive efficiency in Ken Palm. They're a 39th overall in points allowed. Um, they rebound fairly well, even though they're not that big. So they, they're not going to give up a lot of like easy buckets. So I, I think we really need, uh, our guys to step up. We've, we, you know, we haven't had a great game from, from Malachi in a while. Obviously Cooney's been in an extended slump slash, you know, if people want to bang the Cooney's just bad drum, that's fine, whatever. Um, I feel very good about Benajay showing up because he's been pretty consistently good. It's a great all year. Um, but we need one of these other guys to really come through because uh, I don't think Dayton's going to run away with it. They don't store a lot of points. They're not that team. Um, but I also don't think that Syracuse is just going to be able to impose its will on Dayton. So we need guys to make some shots and, and just give Benajay something else out there because we're not going to just... He's not going to just roll over a team that's you know twenty-five and seven and won the A-10 regular season, which is a pretty good league, um, by himself. So, uh, just we can't we can't have the entire team except for Mike go over, and that's happened a lot down the stretch here.
0: Yeah, I think it's something we talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and that was like, we don't even need all three guards to play well. We just need if if just two of them can play with Benajay and, and, and either of the other two. Can play well. We we stand a pretty good chance against anybody, um, and that's the the kind of common thread you see in in, in his wins, and especially the most notable wins, is that there, there's competent guard play on both ends. It's not just Benege. Benege actually probably scores less in in the games where we really look good um, because you know he's sharing the load. He's, he's I can, he can actually trust either Trevor Cooney or Malachi Richardson, maybe both even better. Like we just need to find a way to minimize the amount of onus put on um Tyler Roberson and, and you know Dewan Coleman, and it's not to, to, to bash them, it's just to say that if you expect them to be the difference maker on us winning or losing the game, we're probably losing the game. Um, they're 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 very good players um, but but they can be inconsistent. Um Benegier is the picture of consistency um, and, and the rest of the guards are also inconsistent. so that's where you know it's that that X factor of, can Syracuse get more out of its guards and if it can then we're 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 suddenly looking a lot better and I think you know the the, if the you can take the pressure off particularly Roberson um, to to really carry a a team and carry the rebounding load um, I I think you'll find um, just a much much more relaxed player out there and a much more um, kind of easy to watch product too
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think it, the nice thing about Benajay he he fits in well with how the team is going, so he has no problem taking not necessarily a back seat, but he can blend in and just be hyper efficient and store 16 points, but not um, you know force stuff when one of the other guys is doing is doing well, and he has no problem going and storing 24 points in a losing effort. But you know, generally the team is better when Mike is just taking what comes to him and and knocking down almost all of his shots and not taking bad shots, and then. Deferring to Malachi or Leiden when Leiden is one of his games. Um, I'm also I'm interested to see if Leiden uh, can have a big game because I'm looking at the minutes and the, the top Dayton forwards. And this was a case a couple years ago, too. So this shouldn't be a huge surprise. But um, Dayton's top guys, like they're five, 6'6, uh, they're not going to be defending the perimeter with a lot of size. Like you're going to have a pretty distinct size advantage. Uh, especially if Leiden can uh, can get some open shots, which we know he's taking a few more of, but he really like waits until he's wide open. Um, but he's gonna have two or three inches on the wings, uh, so if we can get him some good looks, I mean, he's he's been an X factor all year, uh, and he's had some good games down the stretch, to, you know, against uh, how some of the other players on the team have been. Um, so that'd be, that'd be big. I think if he comes through, it'd be nice to get him some shine on national stage, which would be good. Get some, some hype for next year, but also obviously when he plays well, we're a much different team.
0: Oh yeah. I think, you know, and that's my fault for not even including Leiden in that. It was just kind of focusing on, um, you know, starters first and foremost, but I think, yeah, Leiden is, Lydon's an X factor because, and you know, we said this all year, we said it in, in previews, if Leiden could come on the way we wanted him to, um, he allows the team to play a much different type of offense. He challenges their bigs uh, you know, without getting the team bogged down in, in the paint. He challenges folks on the perimeter, which allows other guys to get open. Um, and he brought up a good point on Benajay is that he doesn't play hero ball. Um, and, and that, I think, is one of his best attributes is that Syracuse has had some very good shooters over its time, but um, very few have avoided hero ball at one point or another, um, even the best ones. Um, I like and, and of course, I'm saying shooter versus scorer. I think West Johnson was a scorer; he wasn't a shooter, and he's continued that as, as a pro. Uh, I think Benajay is, is a is a shooter, um, and it's it, it's interesting to see how he's approached that very differently from some of the ones that came before him, and even one of the ones that's on the team now, in Trevor Cooney. Right,
1: right, and and by like not a shooter, we just mean like like West Johnson wasn't gonna go and take eleven threes in a game, but he hit like forty something percent of them. Right. Um, where, you know, Cooney, Malachi are both definitely volume shooters, especially when they're on. They're not going to be – even their best names are not going to be, like, super efficient, but they can also store 30 points. So, um, yeah. I mean, if either one of those dies goes off, it's very hard to beat Syracuse. Um, and then Leiden is in a similar spot where he just opens up the offense so much when he's not afraid to, to shoot. And even like last few games, he's kind of taking it to the bass to put the ball on the, on the floor a little bit more, which is he's not great at it yet, but it's exciting to see him try to add that to his game as we, we get into the stretch run here. And, uh, I mean, I am really excited, not to ahead of the tournament or anything, but like people are, I have seen a couple people worried about what this team looks like next year without, uh, Binaget and to a lesser extent without Cooney. Um, but you just down, I mean, it's easy to discount how much players grow from their freshman to sophomore years. There's a chance that Malachi and Leiden are both like all ACC type players next year if they grow at the, like the normal rate that a, a good freshman does.
0: Well, not just that, but then you look at a guy like, I mean, Frank Howard's played very, very well outside of the turnovers. And, and that's something that, yeah, you know, one offseason can fix, uh, you know, battles showing up next year. And like we, we have a team next year that. This isn't to to say that this year is over. It isn't yet, um, but it's to say that like, if we can go a couple rounds, I really like the experience factor that that next year's team brings. I would have liked it either way, but I like it more, um, you know, with 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 some time um, in the tournament, you know, under their belts and really kind of you know getting a first taste of that. I think why Benajay was able to grow so much over the last couple of years is because he got. You know a, a bit of a bit of experience early in the tournament i think rocky and christmas as well like somebody who early in his career had tournament experience i think trevor cooney i wouldn't make the same correlation that doesn't mean that he i mean he, he definitely regressed over the course of his career starting from maybe sophomore year when he started out white hot um, to now but that at the same time it doesn't mean that he w- was a bad player either
1: yeah and, and you know bet for better or worse like we know cooney's not going to be afraid of the spotlight now, whether or not you know some play, some Syracuse fans probably wish he was, uh, and he would defer. But like we know, if Cooney, um, if we need Cooney to hit a big shot, he might not hit it, but he's not going to be afraid to to take it if he thinks he has the best look. So, uh, and a lot of that he's been in some big games. He's been in Final Fours. He was on the, the really good team where he played a big role. The uh, 2013-14 team, which obviously lost to Dayton, but um, you know that team was number one for parts of the year. So he knows you know he's not going to shy away from the spotlight. Um, which is what you need in the tournament. So uh, hopefully that he we you know pass some of that experience on to Leiden and, and Malachi. And next year they are um, you know filling in for Benage, uh admirably. And uh, I'm excited to see what this team looks like next year. Although like you said, we still have some basketball to play, and it's better basketball than uh, most of us expected when we recorded this podcast last week.
0: Yeah, take that hypothetical NIT matchup with Hofstra. <laughs>
1: Oh right, that was a thing. That was. It seems like so long ago. So long ago now.
0: Who's Hofter playing the nit?
1: I have not looked at the nit bracket. Uh, I, 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 I we avoided that. it, and I know like for that even existed.
0: It's more interesting this year because now that they have in the last couple of years, they have the uh, auto bid to those who uh, either like got really far. In- so, I know they have the auto bid for those who won their league, their regular season title. So it allows. Um, it allows for I think just a better quality instead of like a bunch of like also ran at large teams. Um, so yeah, they're facing George Washington. Hofstra got a, uh, that a five seed. Looks like a five seed in the uh, in the NIT. That uh, seems fair.
1: Yeah, sounds about right. So we would have uh, I don't know if we were the number one overall NIT team, who would we have played? Why are we doing this? I don't know.
0: Let's find it. Let's find out. We're, we're going to play Bizarro World. All
1: right. This, this is for all the, the very small segment of Syracuse fans that I saw uh, in certain places that were like, who the
0: hell are you wouldn't
1: anymore? it be better <laughs> to play in the NIT and no. not lose in the first game? And it's like, no, that's not better in any universe. But to appease those folks, we would have been playing, I don't know who. Okay, what?
0: Just give me the bracket, Jesus Christ. If yeah, I, I can't find it if if search, on the NCAA website. I found it. If I search NIT this is not the Christ. <laughs> like I, 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 I'm on the NIT site and hit bracket, and then it proceeds. NIT to the NCAA. Yeah, it takes that's takes the library. I, I did the same thing. God, you, <laughs> you people are horrendous. Okay, wait—is this CBS Sports? Maybe that is. This is this is great radio. Um, this is
1: so funny. No one cares about this. Found
0: it. All right. So, I'm assuming that the top seed overall
1: is, I think it's the Bonneys,
0: which is entertaining.
1: And they play Wagner. So, we would have played Wagner, which, did we play Wagner this year? I feel like we did. Did we? I don't remember that. I mean, we play them and stuff all the time. Yeah.
0: So, we would have faced Wagner and then probably lost to Creighton in the second round.
1: Oh, God. There would have, there would have been nothing more depressing than an uninterested Syracuse team playing Creighton and Creighton just being like... So we're gonna just shoot fifty threes, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: In in front of <laughs> in front of like twelve thousand people.
1: Yeah, in front of twelve thousand annoyed people uh, who don't want to stand and clap, but are doing it anyway. Yeah.
0: So yeah, there's that. Uh, and then on that note, um, Syracuse playing the NCAA tournament on Friday. Um, hopefully, out sorry, out town, CBS Sports night, decides. 18th. Get, no, sorry. CBS Sports is another one of these awful websites that uses auto launch video.
1: Yes, they do. Seth Davis will take over your brain if you go on CBS Sports. Don't allow it to.
0: Again, this, these last five minutes of this podcast have been just magical. <laughs> Weird, we,
1: did, we did not play Wagner this year. We did play the Bonnies and we beat them handily. Yeah. So suck it, Bonnies.
0: They also said that, that head-to-head was not a factor in tournament selection, but then Castiglione specifically cited head-to-head when why the Bonnies did not make it.
1: it. You can't listen to him. Like, he just... It, Like, they will say whatever they need to say to answer a specific question, but then they'll do that. But then it's like, yeah, but what about Kentucky A&M? No, it doesn't matter. Kentucky had less good wins. It's like, I mean, yeah, you're right, but But, but, but still, like, just you could have switched them and no one would have complained.
0: All right. On that note, um, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, Thanks for listening to Try News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe, and blog talk on iTunes and Hopefully not for the last time this season. Go Orange.
1: This is March.